Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. So when it comes to fundraising, there's the small first-time gift that hopefully moves to a recurring gift, and then hopefully someday it develops into a planned gift. Now, it definitely takes some work. It's just not that easy. So as we approach the new year, let's try to focus on some new strategies for going after planned gifts, or at least creating better strategies than what you may have in place already. Ed Woolman's our guest today. Ed is a founding partner of Woolman Gerke & Associates, the law firm. He's board certified in wills, trusts, and estates by the Florida Bar, has a master's degree in taxation from the University of Florida. Ed focuses his busy practice exclusively on estate planning, trust and probate administration, art law, tax planning, elder law, and charitable giving. Ed earned his Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy designation, which qualifies him as a charitable giving and planned giving expert, which is exactly why we have him on the program today. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. I'm very proud to participate in your new and wonderful podcast. Thank you. Okay, to get us started talking about planned gifts, what is a planned gift? As opposed to a present gift of cash, or a present gift of securities, real estate, jewelry, et cetera, a planned gift is a gift in the future that is established currently, usually in an individual's will or trust. As a term indicates, you are planning to fund a significant gift over a period of time. It is very much part of your financial and estate plan, like a subcategory of these other planning processes. So a planned gift is getting ready for the future to fund your, your favorite charities. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's many ways that a donor can make a planned gift. How, how, can you outline those for us? Sure, sure. Um, it's obviously a very complex area, but it could be super basic as, as much as making a cash gift in your will. So let me try to explain it like this. A planned gift can be as simple as an outright gift under a will or as complex as a flip NIMCRUT that ultimately transfers in the future to your own family private foundation. So you can go from the easy to the sublime. An example of the flip NIMCRUT is if you had a highly appreciated asset such as a farm and you wanted to turn that into a charitable gift after you die, you would donate the farm, but the farm hasn't sold yet. So you need to flip it in the future when you finally sell it. When there's money there, you want to pay yourself income from the farm trust, which is called the charitable remainder trust. You want to pay yourself income for the rest of your life and maybe the rest of your spouse's life and even maybe the rest of your children's life. And then when all those individuals pass away, the money goes to your own family private foundation which are th- then is run in perpetuity by your future family members. So it could be as simple as an outright cash gift or as complicated as setting up a family foundation to collect money after you pass away. And then that family foundation has to give away 5% per year. So after the farm sells, you get the income, you get the tax benefits, it pays you all the income it owes you from the past. And then when you pass away, all that money goes to your favorite charity, which is your own family foundation. 
And then each year it will give 5% to sustain your favorite charities. So how does plan giving work? I mean, you kind of outlined it for us a little bit, but because there's so many different facets to planned giving and planned gifts, how does that all work? Yeah. So basically you want to work with your financial planner, your accountant, your other uh, life insurance agent, your attorney, and you want to design a plan for the future. Either it will be a gift under your will, a gift under your trust. It could be donating a life insurance policy or the proceeds from a life insurance policy. It could be setting up a charitable gift annuity. So you want to first plan the timing. When do you want this money to leave your hands and go to the charity? And do you want to keep receiving the income or not? It could be inter vivo set up during your lifetime, or it could be testamentary set up when you die. So timing is super important and obtaining those income tax deductions is super important. So the plan has to be designed with your financial planner and your attorney involved. So as I said, it could be simple or complicated. So from the nonprofit perspective, when they're talking to uh, Mr. Woolman about making a planned gift, let's say, there's a lot of things involved here. So if, if I'm running a small nonprofit, when would I know that I'm ready to start launching a planned gift program? It's really important to decide when your organization can afford to hire a planned giving officer Usually the income development officer, the major events officer is charged with the obligation to learn enough about plan giving to help out. But it's such a unique area that it's nice to hire a plan giving expert. So what I would suggest at first is you first get yourself some advisors, get a little committee going of advisors on the outside that can help you be a pointer as a charitable organization, be a pointer, find the individuals that you think have the capacity and the desire to give that love your organization, that are passionate about your organization, and then start with just an advisory board. Then when you can afford it, you go ahead and try to find somebody that will provide you with the resources to have a part-time person and start there, and then eventually build up to having a full-time plan giving department. So start small, in other words. Exactly. Yeah. What are the steps that a nonprofit needs to take to launch a plan giving program? I would say to launch the plan giving program, you have to start with deciding who inside your organization is going to learn the, the lingo. There's a great glossary of terms. And therefore, one of your parties inside your organization has to be the one that's going to connect with the outside advisors at first. There's a lot of people on the outside, um, such as uh, charitable advisors and philanthropy, people with the CAP designation that are more than willing to volunteer to help out, to help you get your program started. Reach out to your local community foundation. What resources do they have so that before you can afford to build your own program, you know, what can you do to reach out and, and surround yourself by experts? People like myself are always available on the outside to help out. That's great advice, Ed. We're speaking with Ed Woolman. Our topic today is all about planned gifts, planned giving, how your nonprofit can start a planned giving program. And Ed, basically, why do planned gifts matter? The reason planned gifts are so important is they fill your pipeline. So if you don't mind, I'm going to segue and tell you a little story. I mm -hmm. used to go to all kinds of events in the community because I wanted to be involved in the community, give back, and just you know meet a lot of people and develop my, my legal practice. 
And as a result, I, w- I went to everything. And one day I ended up going to a president's club event for Ohio State. And I'm like, I have nothing in, in common with this group. Why am I here? Like, Ed, you've shown up a little bit too much to too many things. But it turned out to be one of the most meaningful experiences that I, I've had in my life. What it was, was the plan giving development officer came down from Ohio State and showed us the landscape for their 100 year plan for their university. In other words, they fill their pipeline for 100 years because when you build a building on a university, it takes time to not only raise the money, but you also are planning that that building is going to be there for at least like the next 30, 40, 50 years. So seeing that made me realize that the plan giving process starts today, but it's really designed to create a sustaining gift far into the future. So you're looking to make an impactful, sustaining gift. So a plan gift is usually 10 times larger than a major gift. And a major gift is usually 10 times larger than an annual gift. So plan gifts become very essential part of the sustainability of your charitable organization. So in other words, for development officers who are listening, you have to plan for today and for tomorrow and way past tomorrow. Right. And, and cultivating those relationships and cultivating your best donors. Usually every organization has like 10 key donors. They're going to make the most significant impact. The smaller gifts are extremely important, but those major gifts need to be cultivated over a long period of time. There is that magic word cultivation. We say it all the time. We are speaking with Ed Woolman. We're talking about planned gifts and what your organization might want to do to help improve your chances at securing planned gifts. We're going to take a short break and come right back. Before we break, though, just a reminder, please leave us a review after the podcast. Be sure to share our podcast with your peers because we're reaching out and we're, we've got a lot of great guests lined up and we want to share this information with you. It's Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Joe Turner. We will be right back. Sometimes you wish there were more hours in the day. With everything on your plate, it's hard to determine which projects get done today and which gets put off until whenever you can get to it. There is an easier way. Sukup Strategic Solutions has been serving nonprofits like yours for almost 10 years. And in that time, we've handled all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of marketers working for you, solving marketing issues sooner, grant writers that have written hundreds of grants, communications experts who can help get your message to your constituents, and certified fundraising executives with the knowledge and expertise to help you raise more money. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit our website at SukupStrategicSolutions.com. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Make sure you stay with us for the latest edition of Coach's Corner that comes up in just a few minutes. Right now, though, we've been speaking with Ed Woolman about planned gifts and ways that you can increase the planned gifts that your nonprofit can secure. Now, Ed, great discussion so far. So tell us about a planned gift that you helped a client give that truly made an impact on the organization that received it. There's so many fun 
stories to tell, but I'm just gonna give you two of the highlights. One recently, a gentleman had a $3 million home over in Fort Lauderdale on the water, and he wanted to donate it to charity. So we determined that it's the perfect time with interest rates being so low at the federal level, it's the perfect time to give away a remainder interest in his house. So when he passes and he's in his 80s, when he passes, one of the large charities here in town is going to receive the remainder of that house. Because interest rates are so low and the way the calculations work at the federal level, he received an enormous, like 75% charitable deduction and he got to stay in his house. He gets to stay in his house for the rest of his life. So it's really a wonderful opportunity. And I have one more that I'd like to share. I had a gentleman that built his business and eventually created what's called an ESOP where he sold the business to his employees. And when you take ESOP stock, you take it at a very low basis. So if one of your donors has very low basis stock, one of the most wonderful things to do is to donate that stock to a charitable remainder trust. So we did that recently and it was able to fund one of the major gifts at one of our large local charities here to build a entertainment room, you know, their, their relationship room where they have all the events and it's right out there on the water. So he and his wife will receive the income for their lifetime. And when they pass away, this million dollar gift will stay with that charity to pay for and sustain that event room. That is a great story. Both great stories. I'm just, it's got to be really refreshing for you and, and really kind of makes you want to go to work every day when you're working on that side of the coin, when you're working to help the donor give to whatever charity that they're interested in. So for the nonprofits that are listening, let's go to the other side of the fence and, and ask you for some planned giving best practices. What do we need to be doing? What do we make sure, what do we have to make sure we're doing in order to have a good planned giving program at our nonprofit? I kind of think that it's really important to incorporate, collaborate, and communicate. So let me explain that. It's really important that the planned gift is incorporated into all the other planning processes, financial planning, estate planning, long-term care planning, because the client slash donor has to be very comfortable and understand where this gift fits into their ability to give away that kind of money yet still take care of the rest of their loved ones. Collaborate. It's important for us all to collaborate together because, you know, it's important to bring, you know, two, two heads are better than one. It's important to bring us together and have best practices like you asked me. And then most importantly, communicate. We all speak in code. Because of my experience of 35 years, I've learned from clients that while they very much enjoy working with us, they really don't understand what we're saying. So I've learned to speak in plain English, converting very difficult concepts into plain English. You've heard of a charitable lead trust, but how does this, try this on for size. You talk to a donor and you say, how would you like to lend $1 million to a charity for 15 years? And at the end of the 15 years, that loan will be repaid to your children or grandchildren. And the charity gets to use that money in the meantime, but you'll get all that money back and you'll disadvantage the IRS by not having to pay 75% of the estate tax. 
So that I just used the loan concept to explain a charitable lead trust. It's not the same thing, but it's essentially what takes place. In a charitable lead trust, you set up the charity, the charitable organization gets the income, and at the end of a certain number of years, in my example, 15 years, you, your children, or your grandchildren get all the money back. So you give the money to the trust, the charity gets the income for a certain number of years, and then you get all your money back. It's a wonderful opportunity. So that is converting difficult concepts in plain English. You can do research. You can go on Google and Google plan gift and you'll get a bunch of, of the normal, let's call them, the, the usual planned gifts. But this one, and, and do you have some other maybe lesser known planned gift ideas that you can share with us or at least get us to start thinking in, in different directions than maybe where we normally are thinking? Yeah, so basically the underutilized charitable lead trust payable to a community foundation or payable to a charitable gift fund, or payable to your own private foundation, or, or straight out to your favorite charities. The charitable lead trust in a low interest rate environment, which we've been in for many, many years now, is a phenomenal technique. And because it's complicated to explain, it's underutilized. But again, the charitable lead trust going into, say, a community foundation will allow you to provide a tremendous amount of income to the charities today. And then at the end of a certain number of years, that money all transfers to your family members, saving a tremendous amount of estate tax. And that could be either a grantor trust or a non-grantor trust, which is a complication we can talk about later. But basically, you can either get an upfront tax write-off or not. It's up to you. Most people avoid the upfront income tax deduction in favor of the more generous estate tax savings. Uh, but we can talk about that at another time at another podcast because grantor trusts and non-grantor trusts is about as complicated as you can get. Can you offer some ideas on how nonprofits listening to our program today, how they can improve their plan giving programs? The plan giving is a situation where it's a marathon. It's not a, a, a brief sprint. You need to plant the seeds, water your garden, develop your story, develop the needs, and fulfill somebody's desire to go from what Bob Buford said in his book, Halftime, to go from success to significance. So to improve your plan giving program, there's a lot of psychology involved because you're helping people fulfill their purpose and fulfill life's journey. And therefore, when you talk about improving your program, you have to start with the end in mind, and that is what information do you want to convey and how do you want to slowly convey it by dripping and dripping over time this information? So this is the order of priority when you're building a plan giving program. Get a pencil. Start with a web page, which is just one page that explains the plan giving options. Surround yourself with a plan giving advisory board, which starts out with one or two people. Get some basic materials for handouts, which are easily obtained uh, from various organizations that have CAN programs. Communicate on a regular basis in plain English. Collaborate with your advisors and your everybody. Collaborate with the charitable organizations, the advisors, the estate planning professionals, and then integrate the entire process into their existing financial estate plan but use the resources that are already available, such as the community foundation 
use the resources that are available to help you get started and build a better program. Now, as fundraisers, we think we know what the donor wants. Sometimes we're pretty sure, sometimes maybe not so sure. But you have the luxury of sitting on the other side of the table. So can you tell us what it is that the donors really want? From a psychology point of view, we usually start with what we think is the most obvious, which is the tax write-off. And the tax write-off is to take care of why are we doing this? But most people really don't know very much about the tax write-off, nor do they really care that much about the tax write-off. What they want to do is to fill the void in their life or to just give back and say, we really appreciate how successful we've been and we wanna make a difference in other people's lives or in our, in our community in the case of maybe a conservancy or something or a botanical garden. But they wanna really feel appreciated, I think, for their life's journey and what they can now give back. It's sort of a part of self-actualization, fulfilling one's purpose. So if we've identified a prospect for a planned gift. We're gonna go talk to Mr. Woolman today about a planned gift. What are some of the questions that we need to be asking that prospect? Would they like to make a significant long-term impact with a sustaining gift? I'll repeat that. Would they like to make a significant long-term impact with a sustaining gift? But possibly they can say, I want to build an endowment. So the money stays intact, but the income each year can be used to support a a program that I have. So what's really interesting is nobody wants to give money for overhead. But when you describe it in the form of a sustaining gift that could be used to continue the programs and events that you so love and appreciate about the organization, they then understand that this planned gift is designed to cover the overhead, which will allow the officers that run these charities to continue with the very essential programs and services. Great advice. I got to tell you, this this has been a great conversation. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of being on both sides of the table. I'm sitting in your chair with the donor prospect, with the donor, and all of the things that they might be looking for. And then I'm also sitting on the other side. I'm, I'm the development officer going to talk to your client. And so I, I like your perspective on from where you sit during this whole process. Is there anything that you see that maybe some development officers are missing when they go to talk to the prospect that they really should have in their back pocket before they start the conversation? I think the good news and and the more uncomfortable news is that we don't have enough confidence as professionals to delve into complex topics. And that's why it's so important to just start with the basics and surround yourself with knowledgeable people. You know, the expression knowledge is power, but knowing where to go to get the knowledge is key. So just getting more comfortable and confident with the material, the glossary of terms is really important. And um, I would say in this area, it's okay to say, I don't know a great deal about this, but I know there's this technique and some tools out there that could really help you make a significant impact. I'd love to introduce you to my team of professionals that volunteer to work for our organization. And, and see if we can't help you design something that would be very, very beneficial for you and your family to make a difference. 
Ed, I want to thank you for talking with us today. As we're heading into 2022, I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of our listeners have been taking some copious notes and they've got some really good ideas and possibly some new ideas as well in ways that they can improve their planned giving programs. I hope our listeners have been taking notes. I want to wish you best wishes for the new year, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd like to have you come back real soon. Great. Thank you so much, Joe. Have a great day. Thank you. That's how it means it's time for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us and we ask one of our impact coaches the question and get the answers for you. But there's a little catch involved and that catch is they only have five minutes in which to answer the question. I'm going to welcome in our impact coach, Cheryl Sukup, the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. Cheryl, this is a tough one. I hope you can keep this in five minutes because this is this is a really good question. Okay, here it is. We are thinking about starting an endowment to fund operating costs and are considering a campaign to fund it. What are the first steps? Cheryl, you only have five minutes on Coach's Corner, and your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. All right, this is a good one. I am going to try to do my best to finish in five minutes. And if I don't, I know that buzzer is waiting for me. <laughs> so, okay, well, the first thing I think you need to do is determine whether or not your nonprofit is ready for an endowment campaign. And some questions that I think you and your board should consider would be, have you ever successfully completed a capital campaign? If you've never done a capital campaign, perhaps your organization is ready and perhaps your donors are not ready either. So uh, that's, that's one question to consider. Another would be, do you regularly conduct prospect research? Is that something that you have as a regular practice in your organization? What is your process for doing that? That's a necessary aspect of conducting an endowment campaign is to conduct prospect research. So you wanna have that in place before you start planning for an endowment campaign. Also, do you have a, a major gifts program in place? Your donors should be giving at a level, a major gifts level prior to starting an endowment campaign. Also, what is your experience with planned giving? Do you have a formal planned giving program in place? Do you have anybody on staff who has expertise in planned giving? Do you have, as Ed shared with us earlier, do you have a group of professional advisors ready to assist your organization with planned giving? And have you received any planned gifts to date? Those would be good questions for your, your staff and your board to consider prior to beginning your planning for an endowment campaign. Next, uh, you have to think about whether or not your donors are ready to be asked for endowment gifts. So I would suggest meeting individually with your top donors to gather information from them about their attitudes towards planned giving and to explore their readiness. A lot of your top donors are already committed to your organization, but they may bring up things that surprise you, questions and concerns that they have about an endowment and about the sustainability of your organization. So it's really helpful to talk to them about their thoughts and perspectives prior to going forward with planning. Another great thing to consider doing is conducting a series of focus groups. Now, you don't want to conduct these yourself as internal uh, members of the organization. You don't want a board member or board members to conduct them. You don't want staff to conduct them. You want the focus groups to be moderated by a third party so that the um, donors who are participating 
understand that their comments are confidential. They'll be much more likely to share things that are sensitive and things that they might not feel comfortable sharing with your organization directly. So I think that's a great thing to consider. And another is to consider conducting a series of confidential donor interviews, one-to-one interviews, because sometimes people will share even more in a one-to-one interview than they will in a focus group. They both have a really great roles to play in research. And I think the focus group offers an opportunity for people to build upon other participants' comments, whereas the individual one-to-one interviews give that extra layer of confidentiality that can prompt people to share really sensitive issues that they're afraid somebody else might not want to hear, or they might not want somebody to hear. So those are some ways to uh, determine whether your donors are ready. And then finally, one more thing about your own readiness is, do you have the resources needed to plan and conduct a successful endowment campaign? So resources can be funding. Yes, you're going to need funding for it, but also other resources like time. Do your staff members have time to devote to this? Your leadership, do you have the the appropriate leaders in place? Do you have board members with the time and the willingness to work on this campaign? Do you have other leaders from the community, perhaps even some of your existing donors, would they be uh, willing to play a leadership role in the campaign? Technology, do you have the technology that you need to pull off a successful campaign? And then also, do you have the staff with the expertise needed to um, manage a campaign and do all of the work that's needed to make the campaign successful from gift processing to donor recognition to prospect research and managing the volunteers, the campaign volunteers. There's a lot that goes into it. And it does, like I said before, take a lot of time. Do you have policies and procedures around uh, fundraising and development? You know, your development policy procedures and would include gift acceptance policies and that sort of thing, but also basic things like how do you process your gifts? How do you recognize donors and a variety of other things would would be a topic of a whole podcast episode. So um, policies and procedures are important to have in place as a resource. And then finally, I mentioned funding. You're going to likely need guidance from experts who do campaigns all day, every day. So consider whether or not you have funding to hire somebody to assist you. Do you have money for promotion of the campaign, printed materials, cultivation events, et cetera? And then donor recognition. Do you have the funding to do a really great job with donor recognition? So that's it in a nutshell, Joe. Those are my suggestions. Great suggestion, Cheryl. And you just got it in under the wire. And it's interesting that you talked about stewardship because we've got a podcast coming up just about that very topic very soon. So I'm glad you mentioned that kind of lets us plug a future podcast coming up in just a couple of weeks. But Cheryl, thank you so much for being our guest impact coach on Coach's Corner. Want to wish you a happy holiday and thank you so much for your for your help on Coach's Corner. Thank you so much, Joe, and happy holidays to you and also to all of our listeners. Thank you.